Thursday, January 11th, and welcome on back to the Damon Bruce Show here on Damon Bruce Plus. It's the Plus, and boy, we are going to add one right away, and one of my absolute favorites, a guy who I've always enjoyed having on my show. I think he's an outstanding writer. He's a great guest. He's the first person that I thought of when I got laid off. I got to tell my story somewhere. I went on Ethan Sherwood Strauss's podcast. He was very, very kind to me. And I said, I'd love to have you on my show someday. And boom, look at that. Here he is. Ethan, thank you for joining me. Yeah, boom, look at that. Here I am. Uh, welcome to what looks like my uh, sauna, even though it's my office. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Damon. It looks good, man. It looks like you're in your own like rumpus room. It's it's very very nice. Yeah. Feels like there should, should be a dartboard yeah, around you somewhere. I should, but you know, I work so hard, Damon. I'm I'm just grinding away at this newsletter. I don't have the time for accoutrements. Maybe maybe you, Damon, not grinding as hard as I can, can have the decorations behind yourself and have the bobbleheads and have the books. And now I'm doing the thing where I'm trying to see what books are exactly back there. Anyway, it's your podcast. I don't. Uh, somebody says, "Am I in a courtroom?" Uh, maybe depending on how much libel and slander, uh, I, I commit on my here, uh, newsletter without the uh, proper legal protections. Anyway, David, it's your show. Take us away. Your newsletter is outstanding. Let's just start right there. Oh. I think you're one of the best writers out there. Not only do you have, uh, the right eye to observe what's happening in sports, but in media and certainly in some even bigger, you know, geopolitical things that you drift into now that you get to you know, run your own circus the way you wanted to with as many rings as you want to be juggling in your circus. And you do a hell of a job with it, man. I think that you are are really one of the most influential voices we have in sports. And maybe not if it's influential to, you know, the fans and you're, you don't you don't quite have that mass readership that I'm sure five years yeah. from now that you will have. There's no doubt that you have the ear of the industry which lends an element of power to what you create that I think a lot of people are are envious of and they really respect. I, that's so nice of you to say. Um, it is a House of Strauss is a newsletter. It is a bit of an industry rag. It, it has become that. I, I try to bring everybody together and also because I think media is interested in media. So people in the industry, they want to go to a place where they feel like the takes are going to be unvarnished. But there's this other population of what I'll call civilians, my subscribers who are not in sports media, who I think just like to get a peek behind the scenes. Just like I, I love reading about about chefs, you know, a book like Kitchen Confidential by the late great Anthony Bourdain or uh, Heat by Bill Buford. I think any subculture that you can get behind the scenes of, it just becomes fascinating. And I just hope that some of my interests in our crazy industry and oh my God, Damon, what a crazy week uh, can translate beyond just the industry people and to uh, everybody else out there. Look, we'll get into some of the specific subcultures that you might have rubbed the wrong way on your way to establishing your own brand as someone who will focus on something not even considering how uncomfortable it might make people in the article. We'll get to all that, but my goodness, like what you just said, it is a huge week of sports news. I mean, we began this week with Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, and Pete Carroll all having the job that they had. We are here today. None of them have the jobs that they had. But before we can even get into the machinations of all this sports news, it feels like it is personal vendetta grudge week in the media. Mm. Uh, I want to begin with Stephen A. Smith and Jason Whitlock, two former colleagues of sort of yours, kind of mine, tangentially anyways, at some points in time and throughout my career. Um, that didn't just drift into the lane of personal. That started in the lane of personal, exclusively ran in the lane of personal and broke the yeah. tape of the finish line. Very fucking personal. Stephen A. Smith, not happy with Jason Whitlock criticizing his memoir, and he unleashed, he went straight to DEFCON 1. He didn't approach the battlefield. He nuked it. Yeah, he and he also did a preview for it. And, uh, God, there's a lot going on there. I don't want to say I'm not an expert, A, on Stephen A. Smith's memoir, uh, or B, even what Jason Whitlock was saying about it. I find it interesting. I can tell from afar, though, that it's this weird situation where I feel like 
Nobody cares about that memoir more than obviously Stephen A. And also Jason Whitlock and everybody else is just kind of watching the spectacle because if the allegation is that Stephen A. fabricated things in his memoir, uh, which I think is called straight talker or straight shooter, I should say. I mean, that's kind of funny if that's true. But I also don't think that's that's that central to why people watch Stephen A. Smith. It's not like when I'm watching Stephen A. Smith on ESPN, I'm going, God, if this guy has, uh, you know, made up anything about his past, I, I no longer am interested in what he's saying and how he's doing it. If he's puffing up his history of being a high school basketball player, um, then I can't believe in him because he wasn't good enough to play the game. Right. So I I'm not going to listen to fish tales. You know, of course, yeah. of course you caught the biggest bass that day. I, I don't care. Yeah. It's Al Bundy talking about his old high school uh, exploits. And I, I don't know if I care that much. I, I know Jason Whitlock has a, a different perspective on why it matters and why it's more central uh, to the whole Stephen A thing, but it, it always devolves as all these things do more into social groups. And if you hate Whitlock for his politics or you don't like him for other reasons, then you enjoy that Stephen A has really given it to him. And if you like Whitlock, then you're fixating on Stephen A doing more of the insulting Whitlock than addressing uh, the charges directly. And I apologize if he did a good job addressing it directly. It's just that I think he talked for an hour and there was just a lot there. And I mean, look, there's only there's only so much I can catch up with. I, I believe Aaron Rodgers just went back on the Pat McAfee show. There's only so much of this content I can consume as the chaos is all happening, as actual sports stories are occurring. That embargo did not last very long. It was a self-imposed embargo of Pat McAfee to Aaron Rodgers. And obviously that situation compounded with the Jimmy Kimmel situation, all being under the same ABC umbrella, just makes it, again, I don't know how juicy it is to the consumer sitting on the couch, but to media honks like you and I, very, very interesting. You know, I heard you talking and arguing with Nick Wright about this. And by the way, I've known Nick a really long time. The fact that the two of you have found each other in a weird kind of way is is awesome. I enjoy your 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 conversations together. I thought he he hit the nail on the head when you guys were talking about just because something's a big topic, it's not necessarily a big story and vice yeah. versa. There's an awful lot there in this McAfee ESPN thing alone. And it brings me back to an article that you had almost like as a precursor to all of this, like you felt a disturbance in the force in like two, three weeks ago, Ethan, again, I'm, I, I think I'm in your first wave of subscribers. That's, I mean, look, if I have to pay for something, chances are, I'm not going to do it, but I pay you to read and listen to your podcasts and stuff because I really do think it's worth it. I think I'm a better host because you get my mind jogging in directions. I even told you a few times, like, hey, I'm, I'm borrowing a piece of your newsletter on my show today. I'm going to get into this. Um, this, is, this is a topic that you broached a couple weeks ago where you even, you asked the question, is sports media even good for sports these days? <laughs> as nasty as yeah. it's become in 2024. Hmm. This is this so meta. This is the MC Escher hands drawing each other right now. I have to give a credit. I have to give credit. That was one of my subscribers who wrote that, and I highlighted it because I found that to be interesting. And I do, um, I do benefit from having great subscribers who offer ideas. And the guy was saying, "Look, I feel like this was an overall, uh, what's the word? A complimentary good in economic terms. The media." with sports when I was watching in the nineties and they helped glorify it. They helped bring it texture. Even some of the things that were controversial enhanced your enjoyment. The Jordan rules by Sam Smith was very controversial and it's myth busting, but ultimately it made you more fascinated with Michael Jordan. And that was all for the good. But now something has happened now that everything is everything. And we've become the singularity um, and everybody can compete for attention on platforms such as this and also on other forms of social uh oh, your your microphone just cut out. Ethan Sherwood Strauss just sort of vanished on us right there. Hopefully he can come back quickly because he's one of the more interested. There he is. He's back. I do not I do not know what happened right there. That was very strange. It just disconnected me out of nowhere. Very odd. Well, I apologize. Um 
anyway, yeah, we don't know. It seems like maybe because we can all talk all at once, something strange has happened, and it seems like the sports media has become a distraction to the sports and maybe even undermine the sports. And I think in a weird way, it's selected from a population of people who aren't as into sports. I'll, I'll, I'll give a, give a weird example. That I don't think it's talked about enough, but when college football came back during the pandemic, it felt like the people who covered the sport mostly were rooting against that happening. Now you could say that they had their reasons based on what we knew back then, or maybe they were being cautious, but in a way it kind of revealed a little something where it seemed like the fans were desperate for college football. There were some non-mainstream reporters who wanted it to happen. And when it did happen, the people who broke the story about college football returning were not people at the mainstream publications. And so I do think something's gone on. And I'm not saying it like I'm different than these people. I'm, you know, a pretentious writer who likes to talk about issues that aren't who won the game last night. But it seems like more people are almost of that mindset in this cohort. And they're not that into sports. And they're maybe in some ways this week, you could say more into each other or at least fighting each other. Is it too much noise, not enough signal? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. You don't have just a few channels that really let everybody know that this is the thing to pay attention to. So then people start competing for attention and then they start competing for attention with the games themselves. Something just technologically has happened. I think especially in the social media era after Twitter reached critical mass in 2013, the conversations just got not positive, uh, not substantive. A lot of it was very ad hominem. Uh, we mentioned the Stephen A. Smith versus Jason Whitlock uh, war. I mean, how much of that is being fought on the grounds of substance and how much of that is being fought on the grounds of uh, sort of cult of personality? So I think the technology shift uh, did maybe undermine the messaging in these sports. And then this other thing happened, Damon, because you, I think you're the ideal guy to talk about this with because you've always had your ear to the listener. Um, and you've always expressed an interest in the listener and in the sports fan, but it, the, the, the noise to what you say, I think Twitter got conflated for the sports fan and for what the sports fan was interested in. And it definitely isn't. That is a wrong signal. I have found success. I don't want to brag, but you know, maybe sometimes I should, I have found success with my newsletter. I am nobody on Twitter. I rarely tweet. I'm trying to dip my toe back into it. But if I do a tweet, maybe I'll get like two retweets. It, it doesn't matter. I have an audience. I have, you know, I have interest. And so I think a lot of people in media maybe got sideways and got into these other topics that weren't of interest to the listener or the fan or the consumer or the viewer because they had that wrong signal of Twitter. Is there a little power then behind the paywall? Does it secure the conversation you're trying to have in a group of people who want to have an honest conversation instead yes. of co-opting it for their own look at me, braggadocio, quote tweet or whatever? I think it, it aligns incentives properly. Um, you know, when do I succeed? When do I get subscriptions? Usually it's when I work my ass off and talk about something that's of interest to my my readers and my subscribers. Um, that is, it, it's just, hey, it's it, people have asked me, hey, what works? What do I got to do? And it sucks. It's like uh, health advice and weight loss advice and how it's, oh, cut calories and exercise. It's, hey, you could be like me. I work hard in my own way. Or you could be John Canzano covering sports in the Pacific Northwest, covering college football, making a lot of money doing it. I'm not counting his money, but if you look at what he does, he is working hard and he's working directed towards the interest of his subscribers. I do think the paywall, and it's a little bit unfortunate because you would want to be able to talk to everybody, right? You'd want to be able to not have people have to pay you to hear you, but it does create this barrier of entry um, and it does help you select for people who want serious content or content behind thought to it. And I also think, you know, there's this other thing too. I'm going to make a little, make a little pitch of why it's good to paywall and why it's sometimes good to pay for content. And I know everybody, maybe your budgets are stretched and I'm not saying you got to pay me, but in general, what's more valuable than your time? 
You know, like people have a very strange reaction when it comes to paying for things. And they go, I am not going to pay for that. I'm not going to pay for content. And it's okay. I mean, I'm not saying you got to pay for my content and you can do with your dollars, whatever you want to do. But that attitude seems very old internet to me when everything was available. I think we're at a moment where people should maybe be judicious about where they want to spend their money and go, hey, my free time is important to me. And I'm not going to have a hundred sub stacks and blow out my budget, but I should probably have a few places I go to because what's more valuable than my time. Um, and when it comes to consuming my content, I'm probably going to get a better return if I pay for it. I'm going to ask you to do a little uh, self-evaluation. I'm going to just tell you whether you want to admit it or not. You're a fabulous writer. How are you as your, how are you as your own editor? Um, well, I do pay an editor. Look at it this way. Let me, let me ask another way. Almost. Mm. Do you write for yourself or for your audience? Okay. So the boring answer would be a little bit of both, but I also try to think about, okay, what's interesting about this. And now we're doing this in real time. I want to write about Mark Cuban selling his team and Elon Musk going after him. And I'm just trying to find the thread. And it's sometimes it's the situation where, there are interesting threads to it to me, and that's the germ of my interest, but it only becomes something that's going to resonate with the subscribers and the listeners if I can figure out a way to translate it into something digestible, into something thematic. So a lot of what I'm doing is in my mind going, okay, how do I convert this? How do I convert this? The conversion is where it hopefully becomes something that the listeners and the subscribers get something out of. Um, but as far as own editor, I do pay a guy to edit me. Sometimes I don't email it to him and that, that might be my, uh, my downfall because sometimes I just want to get it out quick. Uh, but I do, I do benefit from somebody else having eyes on it because I'm going to draw an analogy right here. I don't think I always know what's interesting about what I'm doing. And it's very similar to how athletes are. Remember, they tried to uh, do that player's tribune and they said, we're going to create our own stories. We're going to cut out the middleman. And the issue with athletes doing that is that they don't necessarily know what's interesting about themselves. You kind of need a middleman for that sometimes. You kind of need some reporters around as annoying as they are, as, you know, as, as frequently as they might talk about what's negative. They're going to know what's interesting about you because if you're just left to your own, uh, your own devices, you're Kevin Durant or Carmelo Anthony telling people, about your investments and how you're putting money in startups. Fans don't care about that. They don't want to know about it. That's interesting to your rich friends. It's not interesting to them. So I'm always just looking to the signal of what my customers like. Um, I'm trying to be driven by my own interest, but if it's not working, I'm probably going to change tactics and I'm probably going to change topics. You, I'm sure at the time you got it in your career, were very excited to be elevated to ESPN, you're covering oh, yeah. the Golden State Warriors at the apex of their interest and dynasty. And it felt like the closer you got to what I'm sure started out as your dream job, the less and less you liked it, you enjoyed it. And that's where you started thinking, maybe it's time I do this for myself on my own now that that option is available to me. What about the beat did you dislike the most? And what, if anything, did you miss? Yeah, it's a great question. The Warriors kind of chew you up and spit you out, and that's not a commentary on how they are. It's a commentary on the intense interest in them. It has its own collective energy. It, it felt to be around the team during that run, it, it had the feeling of almost being too close to the sun. There was just a pulsating energy with how many people were into them. And you needed to have a, a kind of hyper vigilance about the situation because there was such a demand. And I remember the day I think I started to get a little bit less in love with the job. The ESPN news desk was just obsessed with getting any morsel of news out there. And so when you're covering the team that is the object of interest, all of a sudden, everything is news. And so when you're at these press conferences at practice or at shoot around, all of a sudden you go from just kind of being there and hanging out to now you have to have an ear for, okay, okay. I don't want to get yelled at by the news editor. And I remember the day this happened. I think I was in Orlando. Clay Thompson mentioned that he liked the Harry Potter books and 
that went in one one ear out the other. It just right. Was Meanwhile, not they're like, we need 2,500 words on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. I got a talking to an editor was furious because this went viral. And I was just going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're telling me that it's news that Clay Thompson likes literally the most popular book in the world right now. That's that's news. That that's that's what it is. And then once you come to that conclusion, you're in a state of hypervigilance because everything these guys say is potentially news. So it was a funny thing. I remember Michael Lewis was at a Warriors practice and I was there with Marcus Thompson. We were deep into the season. We are just bleary eyed. We're probably Michael coming Lewis, up. Money ball. Uh, yeah. People know. Yes. The famous most Einstein. successful, most successful nonfiction writer probably of our lifetimes. And he was at the Warriors practice because he's friends with Steve Kerr. You're a professional, David. So you're, you're informing everybody and bringing them along. Um, and so Michael Lewis looked at us and he said, you guys must have the best job in the world. Oh, my God. Like he was just just giggling with glee watching Steph Curry practice. And it was kind of a sad moment in a way because we did not feel that way, even though we probably should have, you know, like, like, look where we were. Look what we had an opportunity to see. But there's just something to that hypervigilance that chews you up, spits you out. The people who were originally on the beat at the beginning of the Warriors run, they were no longer on the beat pretty soon into it. Rusty Simmons of the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, gone. Diamond LeWing of the other paper, gone. Um, so yeah, I mean, my long winded answer to your question is that even though you have a dream job, the reality of it, which is fueled by the intense interest in it, I think eventually makes you look around because it's just not sustainable to be that close to the sun. When Kevin Durant called you out by name in that press conference, you must've had a damn, I officially have a seat at the table now moment uh when that happened did did you enjoy that attention or no. like all writers you don't want to make yourself part of the story but now here you are no it was highly uncomfortable and in that way it gave me some insight into why a lot of these guys are going nuts i don't think the human mind is really designed for that sort of thing to have a bunch of people arguing about you on espn and whether because that's what people were doing. I was watching Stephen A. Smith and these people argue about whether or not I was good at my job. And it makes you crazy. You want to jump through the TV. You want to go like, no, no, I did it. But you can't. You're just watching everybody talk about your reputation. You can't do a damn thing about it. You have the sense that your entire reputation, the way everybody thinks about you is in variance. You're like in Game of Thrones when they uh, they, they, they fight over your fate. Um, for what's his name, the Peter Dinklage character. Like, that's what it's like. Trial and by combat. Trial by combat, baby. So you're watching Trial by Combat. You're not a participant. And I went, oh, this is what these guys go through all the time. No wonder they're prickly. No wonder they're crazy. I think it's not something the human mind is designed to really handle. I did not enjoy those few days. It, it was not enjoyable. I tried to use it to my advantage. I tried to sort of stick to my guns it was interesting though i mean in the locker room it was very interesting because the players they just thought it was amusing as hell i mean they they had a great time with it igadala it was like damn he went off in your ass he was just it, it was funny to them but well, they also was fair play you know oh yeah oh yeah they enjoyed it they they had this kind of perspective on it too which is basically not that i was wrong but why aren't you apologizing because from their perspective, that's what you do with a superstar, right? If you're on a team in the NBA, superstars mad at you. You got to placate the superstar. I mean, he's the meal ticket. So they were wondering. I remember I saw DeMarcus Cousins in the locker room and he went, oh, you got some apologizing to do, man. And I, I said, well, I, I didn't do anything wrong, though. And he went, right. and I said, I said, how do I apologize when I don't think I did anything wrong? And DeMarcus went, shit, that's for you to figure out. You know, it's this thing of it doesn't it doesn't matter. In the NBA, the superstar is everything. Kiss and the even, ring. Kiss the ring. That's what you got to do. And I had a few conversations with guys to that end. So the entire experience was highly uncomfortable. But like a lot of uncomfortable things, Damon, 
uh, you do learn something from it. And hopefully I learned something from that. Not that I would want to repeat it. Do you think that Adrian Wojnarowski felt a level of discomfort when he read the, what, one critical article ever written mm. about him and how he operates at ESPN by, by you? Oh, I know he does. I know he did. Um, I've been told that from people at ESPN. I, I understand that he also became really interested in who was telling me what and, you know, is there a mole in the building, that kind of thing. And um, I it's it's tricky because I'm not out to get him. I have a strange past with him. There is respect for what he has accomplished. But if you're going to talk about the sports media and you're going to do it from an NBA perspective and you're going to be honest, how do you not get into this territory where there's this obvious favors trading going on? It is obviously a corrupt industry. I'm not trying to make a big thing out of it that we need the government to come in to clean up NBA reporting and it's the most important thing before us. But come on, man. Like we watch this industry. There's barely any commentary at a lot of these shops that do reporting because they're afraid of stepping on the toes of any agents. We've got that crazy conflict of interest that they don't even tell the fans about where all these reporters at ESPN NBA are represented by CAA as they're reporting on players represented by CAA. Shocker. The coverage is always glowing and highly protective. Personally, I would be down with them going, hey, this is my take on this guy, but I should disclose that we both share the same agency. But they don't, and I think that indicates that they know it's dirty. They know there's something happening there. And so if I'm going to write about these things that I notice, I mean, I notice when when uh, Kevin Durant calls out his general manager when, uh, when Sean Marks was, when they were both with the Nets, um, and it's reported that he wants him fired. It's the biggest news story in sports that day. ESPN doesn't talk about it for pretty much the whole day. And Marks is rep by CAA, and he's an obvious source for ESPN, NBA. I mean, I notice it. What am I going to do? If I don't talk about it, eh, I'm not making money and I'm not being honest. So it's unavoidable that I'm going to cause that particular individual some discomfort. What's the biggest story that ESPN ever made you squash? Ooh, I would say aspects of Mark Jackson's ouster were stepped on because they immediately hired him to be on the studio team. I mean, it, it was quick. We were preparing the big opus, the big, this just, you know, telling you everything from behind the scenes of the Mark Jackson ouster. There was an article written by somebody else. Um, and I've mentioned this on my Substack. Uh, I think it was maybe Dave Fleming, but not that Dave Fleming. Um, and I apologize if I'm getting any of those details wrong that had some explosive uh, content in there. Um, and I didn't write it, but I helped with the reporting because he was leaning on me to a certain extent. And ESPN, because it's a television company, um, they said, no, nah, we can't do that. No, it's like we we just we just hired him. He is now on the broadcast team. We cannot uh, put out all this uh, embarrassing stuff about him, which I guess that's just how the world works. And it's unavoidable if you're the television company covering sports and you're also reporting on sports. But it was a little frustrating. I did have this feeling of, I mean, could you guys have waited a month <laughs> before the hire? Could you, you know, but, it, you know, it, it taught me a lesson about how that business works at that particular time. Because you do have to remember that this is at bottom a cable company and the TV people are king and they big footed us and they were more so what matters. And that is that is reality right there. And things would happen, too, where sometimes you'd be watching a game and Jeff Van Gundy or Mike Breen or whoever would just start basically stealing from your article uncredited and say something they could have only gotten from your article and I'm not blaming them. I'm guessing a producer said, here's this, here's that. Um, and ultimately it doesn't matter, but it just was this reminder of, oh, they drink, they drink your milkshake when they want to, they make no apologies. They are what matters. And if they're going to tell you to shut up about something, then you're going to shut up about something at that particular institution. I'm still so much of a radio guy. I feel like I need to reintroduce you to an audience that can clearly read your name if they're watching this on YouTube. But if you're listening on the podcast, yeah. 
Ethan Sherwood Strauss is here on the Damon Bruce Show, and I've loved having you as a guest for for many, many years, and I'm glad that we're still doing it, man. Again, I, I trusted you to get the story of my layoff right when that happened, and I, I think you did a, a good, delicate job with it, and you let me say what I had to say, and, and you asked the right questions, and you're becoming uh, m- more of a a podcaster than maybe you intended to be? Is that, is that, you feel like you're going in that direction? I guess so. I mean, I like doing both. It kind of keeps both sides fresh, right? Where yeah. you would burn out if all you were doing was writing. And if all you were doing was podcasting, then you would burn out on that. And um, I'm just exploring the space, man. I like not knowing what I'm going to learn from an interaction. And I like that everything is a bit of an experiment. So yeah, maybe I've become more of a podcaster, but I think I'm a better writer than I am a podcaster. So I can't, I can't give up the core. I got to stay with the core that brought me there. I got to remember to do that. I remember when writers would criticize me, my comeback would always be like, well, I'm speaking extemporaneously into a microphone for the better part of four hours a day. How good would you be without a backspace? You know, how good would you be without the delete button? If you had to do it in real time, what would it be? Um, the story that you wrote about the NBA shoe deals, and I, mm. I, I always thought that that was uh, a moment that made you maybe a little bit more of an industry rag than you intended to be. That was yeah. something that really ruffled players, maybe even shoe companies in, in a funny way. Um, any blowback from that? that that you feel yeah. like still might be hanging over you or was it a, a a really good thing and it basically illuminated that you're you're you know you're just good enough to be dangerous at this nike was not happy uh i'll say that much when i broke the story on how they lost steph curry in their terrible uh powerpoint presentation where they pronounced his name stefan they were embarrassed about that they were not happy about it nico harrison who ran the meeting and eventually became GM of the Mavericks was somebody who would look away and not deal with me. If I saw him at a game, which I understand that was very embarrassing for him. I didn't mean to embarrass him. I reached out multiple times to talk with him about it, but that's what happened. And I mean, that's one of these issues where it it, it does uh, confound what they present us. Sometimes it's this bigger question of who is the real employer of the player, right? We act like the real employer, the main employer of LeBron James is the Los Angeles Lakers. But the Lakers are what? One of three teams he's played for uh, at at this point? I mean, that's a short time. He's got a lifetime deal with Nike. He's going to make more from Nike than he's made from any of these teams. And so that's this big question when you start looking at this stuff. Because I'm not going to say definitively that Nike is the reason that Kevin Durant came to the Warriors. But I know they wanted it to happen. I know that Lynn Merritt, major Nike executive, was at all those playoff games in 2016 and that he was overjoyed when he was at the press conference that Kevin Durant, uh, the initial opening press conference after Kevin Durant joined the Warriors. And I went up to him and he's just belly laughing, all smiles, Oh, the mic cut out again, and the it's like there's this weird timer going on <laughs> with Ethan's uh, setup over there. And if this is like the first dropout, he'll be back in, in just a matter of moments here. He will be reappear. Boom, and he magically reappears. Boom. I, I, I know. don't know. I don't know why it disconnects and re- reconnects. The basics is that Lynn Merritt, the major Nike executive, was saying got them both, as in in the finals, it's going to be Nike, Kevin Durant, versus Nike LeBron James, and we have put a kamikaze to the good ship Steph Curry and hurt his brand and given him less shine. That's what Nike wanted. I am sure they were making it known to Kevin Durant that that's what they wanted and things would work out better for him. And that's one of these things that we don't report on, but there are people behind the scenes. And this goes back to the NBA reporting and some of the territory that I've been able to explore is that sometimes the main characters in a story when we sell it to everybody are edited out of the story are made to be peripheral characters. Sometimes it's the agents who are feeding the reporters, the information who are actually making a lot of things happen 
And sometimes the sneaker companies themselves are involved. And since those are occasionally valuable sources or they confound the sorts of stories we're trying to tell, we edit that out. I mean, Dan Fagan, to go in a different direction of the sneakers, uh, the late Dan Fagan was running the Dallas Mavericks for a few years. And the fans weren't necessarily even told about that. So, yeah, there are just a lot of stories behind the scenes. And you can make some money talking about it when the big when the big boys aren't going to talk about it. Is there any inside dope that you still want to cut up and sell? Is, is, is there anything from your like, do you do you feel like you have some untold stories from your days of of beat writer? You're around a team uh, that that you you haven't gotten to want to get to. What's the next thing that you really want to illuminate that you think is an underserved topic mm-hmm. in all the stuff that you've come across? Yeah, I don't know if there's anything that I'm really sitting on. There are always taboo topics that come up. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a few that pop into my head, but if I talk about it, I'm probably going to want to be really careful about it. Um, I, I'm sorry I don't have a satisfactory answer on that one. That's all right. It's a big question. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those, uh, what are your deepest, darkest secrets, and would you like to share them on my YouTube channel? <laughs> Possibly, you know, if you could find a way in. I don't know how Howard Stern has that superpower to get people to do that, but I could certainly use it on my own podcast when I talk to people. Which prestige job do you think would be the least amount of fun? Head coach Alabama football or president of Harvard? That's exactly, that was the first thought I had. I, I was going to make a joke. I was going to go, president of Harvard. Um... I think way more fun to be president of Harvard. I think if you just stay out of the limelight, don't plagiarize. Usually we don't even know who you are. This was a very special circumstance where we found out who that woman was. And the thing about being president of Harvard is that people are kissing your ass. Everybody wants to get your, you know, they want to get their kid into Harvard. So all these powerful people are going to whine and dine you. I think if you start losing in Tuscaloosa, your name is mud and you are not getting sucked up to in that kind of way. I think Alabama coach right now, I'm sure some bold, brave soul is going to do it and they're going to have the ego to follow that act. But that does not seem appealing to me right there. Uh, unless you can really unless you can really set the parameters and be real and go, hey, this is a rebuilding year right here. It's not just going to continue. You know, we need a year to rebuild this, to buy you some time. Unless you can set that that precedent, that predicate, then it seems unappealing. But I'll do it. If somebody wants to pay me $10 million, I'll, I'll, I'll coach <laughs> Alabama football. How, how much of a football fan are you? I feel like I know an awful lot about you and the sports that you gravitate towards, and it feels like you don't gravitate towards much football content which, you know, is the king of content. Would we just find out that 94 of the top 100 shows on cable television last year were football games and another one was a post-Super Bowl post-game show? I mean, so um, football is the driver of sports media. But it's it's funny. I, I don't know how much you, you you are drawn to the sport, how much you love the sport, how much you personally even care about it. Like, are you a Niners fan? Yeah, I'm a Niners fan. Um it kind of started back in 2019 because I'm from San Diego. So I didn't have a backstory being a Niners fan. And then the chargers uh, moved away. And, you know, when I was professionally a beat writer, just consumed with the NBA season, I couldn't really pay attention. But when they drafted Bosa, I was curious about Bosa. And then the team got really good. And then I, they're just such a charismatic team. It just, they felt a little bit like the warriors with the versatility and the innovation and everything else. And so, no, I build my Sundays around the Niners and I like thinking about football in a way it's been really fun to get into football now that I have the time and the space to do it, which I couldn't do when I was on the grind and it's just all NBA all the time. I feel like you learn things from football and you also get more plugged into some of the national conversation and They've just been a fantastic story. So, yeah, I would say I'm a football fan. Not so much college. I do think it's hard. It, this is something Nick Wright said, but if you're married and you've got kids at home, I mean, you could be uh, an expert on football on Sundays or football on Saturdays. I don't think you can realistically do both. I don't think you can be a college football and a pro football fan all at once. So I definitely lean more towards the pro side. Shanahan needs that Super Bowl. Do you think they get it this year? 
Ravens scare me, man. Ravens scare me. If I'm being totally honest, the Ravens scare me more than the other NFC games. It's partially what we saw on Christmas, and there's a little bit of luck to that. But then you look at some of the the DVOA, the the advanced stats, and it's man, this is a like a defense that people do not talk about enough. I mean, their production incredible, and you hear things about McDonald, their coordinator. And he's regarded as a boy wonder genius ahead of the curve. And that scares me. I kind of wonder if the Niners maybe made a mistake with Wills, who's probably fine and he probably helped the development of the DBs, but he's an older coach and I don't think he's on the cutting edge like that. And that might be what determines it. And that might be what swings it is that one team has a cutting edge genius D coordinator. The other team has a solid D coordinator. And so if I'm being totally honest, I don't think they get it done. I think they lose in the Super Bowl. And I hope I'm wrong because I would love to see them win it. And I would love to see Brock Purdy finally get the credit he truly deserves. It's been an amazing story. And, you know, you just brought up DVOA. And uh, I'm surprised to see, you know, um, um, analytics sabermetrics, whatever we're calling them these days, come crashing into the football conversation in, in quite the way that they have. And it's funny, people conveniently use stats when it buttresses the argument they want to make and sort of ignore them if it's not the argument they want to make. Uh, you take Brock Purdy's stats, put them next to the name Aaron Rodgers, you have a unanimous MVP. But because Brock Purdy's name is next to those stats, our friend Nick Wright can't even compute what's actually going on. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers had the stats that Brock Purdy has, he would be on ESPN live still talking. They would have given him uh, more opportunity and they would have allowed <laughs> him whatever he was saying about Anthony Fauci. Uh, he really, Purdy, to what you're saying, I agree. And I think something, okay, so here's what I think has happened. I think that we try to make sense of things when things surprise us. I think Shanahan is a really good coach, right? And people in football will say that. But we weren't hearing about what an offensive genius he was to this degree before Brock Purdy, before the last pick in the draft pops and becomes better than people thought. I mean, he had three losing seasons here. I saw Peyton Manning get asked, who would you want to play for if you could play? And he talked about back in the day, watching film with uh, with Kyle Shanahan and grinding some film back in 2012. And I was thinking... Man, that's not a story Peyton Manning tells a few years ago. It's a story Peyton Manning tells now because we're really, we're really puffing up Kyle to make Purdy make sense. I think what makes sense is that Purdy's just good and the draft is kind of random. And yes, the skill positions help. But I would, I would challenge people on this. Have we seen all too many quarterbacks who were uh, just really bad in a situation put in another situation and just become a dramatically different guy. I mean, people point to Garoppolo having the opposite thing happen, but by that point with Garoppolo, we knew that he was battered and injured and not the same guy anymore. Uh, you know, there are guys who can help you, but when people insist that Christian McCaffrey is why Brock Purdy is who he is, I think that's crazy. We don't really have a track record of a running back making a quarterback. I mean, I grew, grew up rooting for the Chargers. Uh, yeah, Tomlinson was there. And Drew Brees was good without Tomlinson. He was great without Tomlinson. Um, and Philip Rivers was very good without Tomlinson. So I think quarterback production is pretty stable. Weapons help you. They help you win the big one. They matter. But for the most part, I think quarterbacks do what they do. Uh, they are helped by what's around them. And what you're seeing from Brock Purdy is what we're getting. It's not just some sort of smoke and mirrors uh, fantasy. It's just that the guy turned out to be way better than what people thought he was going to be. How much do you think the desire to be right about NFL drafting, draftism, if that's the, the moniker it all goes under now, how much do you think that plays into the doubting of him? I, I think it plays a, a massive huge. role. Yeah. I, I think it's huge. It's... um. Everything's based on what's the word I'm looking for expectations. And we try to make sense of you. They do it with Draymond Green and as frustrating as he can be off the court. I mean, he's been a great player. He's a hall of fame player. And you hear the arguments all the time. Oh my God, 
if you played with other people, if you played on another team. And I think to myself, what's so funny about it is they did not roll the red carpet out for Draymond Green, right? He had to scrape and claw and wrench that job away from David Lee. Obviously, David got hurt, but he seized it and it didn't go back. And so he made his own way. The easier answer is just that he's the best defensive player of his generation. And he worked really well with the people around him. It helped his career, obviously, to have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, all of that. But it's really just the story of a guy being way better than people thought. And that's what I see with Brock Purdy. It's the story of a guy being way better than what people thought. I'm not making the argument that he's the MVP or that he's top two, but he's obviously way better than what people thought. And it's just so funny that when you're better than what we thought, we start having to come up with some sort of explanation or excuse for ourselves and why we didn't see it coming. You put Draymond Green on the table. He's one of the things I wanted to talk about. So let's just hop right in. No smooth transition between football and, and basketball. What do you think of his latest round of apology? His press conference, again, was very introspective. Uh, I've said, look, Draymond's a great talker. He's a fabulous communicator, but that was never in question. The question is, when he gets put in the tumbler of an NBA game, is he going to shit his pants again? Then we'll know whether or not there was there's there's genuine contrition and an attempt to better his behavior or reactions to things. Uh, how do you think it it breaks for Draymond, and ultimately, how does it end? Uh, it feels like it's ending, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like it's uh, everything with the Warriors? It's just in this ugly space. It's almost like we're living through something we know we're going to forget about. As strange as that, it's as strange as that seems. It's like when we look back on the Warriors and we talk about them, we're just going to edit this out like it's Michael Jordan on the Wizards. Uh, I hope that's <laughs> not the case. I hope they find the pieces to return to the 2022 glory, but it does have that feeling now, doesn't it? That this yeah. is the kind of ugly slide into oblivion. And I don't know. They got to do something really uh, quick and everybody right now is panicking trade staff uh, or, you know, Steph's got to go to a contender. And I think you still need to um, see if you can save the situation somehow, but this chapter in the Draymond green saga does feel tiresome. And I don't know if it's just him that we can really fault for it or if the people around him have enabled it to this end because it's worked for so long. But it's just been strange. It's just, you know, he, he has this issue hitting people and then it, it stops being a story on how he needs to shape up and here's his suspension. And it just becomes this weird. He needs help. It's indefinite. Everything's up in the air. Uh, maybe there's going to be a podcast or two about it. It just seems like there's got to be some sort of structure around him at this point in his career instead of whatever we're doing where it's also wishy-washy and he's just, uh, you know, I don't know, podcasting a lot. What do you think about just the status of baseball in the Bay Area? You've got one team, you know, drifting to Vegas, relocating, maybe. We still have to see that happen before we actually assume it is indeed going to happen. And with the market all to themselves, it feels like the Giants have used this opportunity to matter less than ever before, which is a weird way to go about it now that they are, you know, basically the sole permanent proprietor yeah. of Major League Baseball in the Bay Area. Uh, what do you think of of the coming summer and, and how much subtraction we have from from Major League Baseball when it comes to sports we care about? Well, I don't have a great answer to that because I don't follow baseball that closely it is weird because i'm aware that the giants were just the fanciest brand in all the land and there was a point in time where they dominated this market where maybe the niners weren't exactly what they were the warriors certainly were not what they became and the giants were just the the fanciest thing that anybody wanted to be associated with with the greatest ballpark which they still have in all of baseball and I don't know. I don't know why they failed to get free agents. I'm not sure. It just seems like they've squandered an opportunity. And ultimately what it means right now is that the aforementioned Niners are just running the scene. They're just dominating this place. If the Warriors fade out and the Niners win that Super Bowl, if they beat the Ravens or whoever, and I forgot to mention maybe the Ravens' chance is that Lamar Jackson is disappointed in the playoffs. So if I'm a Niners fan, I'm just rooting for the Ravens to lose. Um 
it's just going to be very much dominated by one team right now. So that's how I see it generally. But I can't give any good explanations on what's going on with the Giants. And frankly, from a casual perspective, they bore me. They bore me so I tune out. You know, they don't they don't assemble the sorts of squads that you want to uh, change the channel to. By the way, my man Ike, who is a huge sponsor, Ike Sandwiches of the show, says, I'm literally going to listen to this interview again right when oh. it's done. So there you go. Uh, we thank Ike, Ike Sandwiches. Uh, we'll shout out Uncle Boys, which is a great burger in the inner rich. we got to get the sponsors in here. You know how it is, Ethan, when you're operating under your own brand. So we thank them for, for listening, for enjoying this indeed. Let me wrap up with this because I think that you and I have something in common. Um, I thought that you and I have always been a little too honest for maybe our own professional good. Yeah. Um, I think it also makes us incredibly valuable to our audience, but dangerous to past and future employers that would give us greater scope, but don't necessarily want to get into bed with people who want to just get it right as much as mm -hmm. you and I seem to want to get the story right, no matter whose feelings gets hurt along the way to getting it right. Do you think we, we share that in common? I do think we share that in common, and it reminds me of when I when I left uh, the athletic and I asked out. I, I I called up the CEO and I asked out of the contract. And when I started my own newsletter, a lot of people were saying, "Well, are you like mad about you know? Are you mad at the athletic? Do you have an issue with the athletic?" And I said, "No. I mean, people treated me there really well. It was the best job experience I ever had. But I wanted to talk about some stuff." And I'm not resentful towards them that I felt constrained. I felt guilty almost like I don't want to create work for you. I don't want to say some stuff that I feel like I want to say. And then you got to handle it and you got to get yelled at. I mean, the NBA was really pissed off by some of the things I said. And they were just bothering my bosses about it. And I felt like, look, I don't regret saying it, but I also don't feel great that I'm creating this after effect for people I care about. And I'm making their day harder. So that's part of why I did what I did, Damon, is just the feeling of I want to be able to say what I say and not feel like I'm really messing with anybody else's situation who I'm trying to work with and who I have any kind of loyalty to. So now that I'm over here on YouTube and officially out from underneath any and all umbrellas, I'm always looking for nuggets of inspiration. And I'll just wrap up by saying thank you for being a nugget of inspiration. Uh, I've always believed that when you have talent, you should bet on yourself and even, you know, going out on your own. I'm sure there are days where you feel like you're captain of the USS future. There are other days where it feels like you're maybe rowing a, a kayak in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And who are you kidding? And who am I kidding? <laughs> it's it's tough. The machine only moves forward if I pedal. That's the tough part. The best thing is my own... Uh Oh, no. Oh, no. Wait, your, your mic cut out again. Oh, we got to come back for the end of the interview. We can't, we we were we were coming to that wonderful crescendo. We were about to just break each other's arms off, patting each other on our fucking back I, over here. I, yeah, have at it. You're back now. The worst thing I, I should say, the best thing is my, my own, I am my own boss. The worst thing is I've got to rely on my own budget for Internet and maybe <laughs> maybe skimp. You know, maybe there's some after effects, but I'll get out of here before uh, before it drops off again. Um, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Being out on your own, it's got good sides, it's got bad sides. I'm sure some of the people listening run their own businesses, like our friend Ike over there. And uh, I think it's the dream. I think it's the American dream. So I don't regret it, and I'm thankful to all the subscribers. I'm thankful for all the customers. So, yeah. Well, here's the thing. In order to sustain, you got to be good at it. And good sticks out like a sore thumb in a world of average or less than average. So continued success to you, my friend. Thank you very much. If ever you're in a lurch for an, an immediate podcast guest because you need to cancel, uh, you got to cancel on you. You got my number. Uh, tell Tony I'm available and, and we'll hopefully do something again over on, on your channel. You do great work, Ethan. And, and thanks for, for joining me today for a conversation that I've been wanting to have for a long time. Oh, well, it was fantastic. Thanks for having me, Damon. There he is, Ethan Sherwood. Don't forget the Sherwood folks, Ethan Sherwood Strauss, here on the Damon Bruce Show. Great to have him on. Really enjoyed that guy's work around the Warriors. 
Um, when I was getting to know him, he stuck out like a sore thumb among his peers. He really did. And I just think he's great at what he does. And I'm telling you right now that if you are interested in some of the most interesting sports writing, his Substack is a great place to make that investment. It's one thing to look at the world of sports media and complain that, you know, everything you see is crap. If you're not paying for something, if you're not willing to invest in what you're getting, you really shouldn't complain that it might lack a certain quality or or something that you're looking for. If you're looking for quality, you can find it with Ethan Sherwood Strauss. I say that without reservation. I think he's among the best at what he does, and he stands out among a world of, you know, not even amateurs, but he stands out among a world of professionals. So I'm a big fan of that guy. And it seems like an awful lot of you were too. I just noticed a couple of of, of comments in the chat as, as Ethan and I were talking. Uh, Otis Bird III says, man, Twitter really did change how sports are covered. It did. And some of it is positive. Maybe even more of it is a little bit negative. Um, 49ers Ultimate Report says, Damon, let your guests know he's right. We've had too many covering sports that just want to talk about rumors and not the sports themselves. I think that that's a, a big part of it. Um, Mike Rossi says, I love the deep dive into media. Great guest. Yeah, he is a great guy to talk about, you know, the ever evolving media world that seems to change now, not by the year, or by the TV deal, but by the week, by the month. I mean, it's ridiculous how fast and quickly everything changes. Um, Michael Chance says, I miss the old internet. There's a part of me that does too. Like even the internet had its semi-innocent phase and days, and it feels like those are very much done with. Um, Otis Bird again says, kind of weird how KD was against a guy like this. Ethan's a good dude, but as we've seen, every little thing gets to KD. Yeah. I mean, it really does. And if you've got rabbit ears, I think someone who you know immediately is like good at what he does. The way that his criticism might hit your rabbit ears stays a little longer than just, you know, some random 14-year-old kid on Twitter. And we know that that kid has gotten to Kevin Durant in the past uh, as well. Again, I, I tagged this from my man, Ike, literally going to listen to this interview again right when it's done. Ike, thank you again. For, uh, for for sponsoring, for listening, for being an active participant in the chat like each and every day. This is a, a passion project for Ike. It really is. And I appreciate you being a part of it. And that's a, that's a, that's a good re-listen. My man is smart. That is a terrible conflict of interest. Having the same representation. Smiley Dan talking about how, yeah, how am I supposed to cover a guy that's represented by the same agency and say that I'm doing it, you know, at face value, no other agenda is behind the way I'm following this, this this story or filing this report. It It is something that you would think they should acknowledge. You know, here I am with Player X, and just for the sake of letting everyone know, the two of us are, you know, represented by the same agency. So think of that when you're considering what we're talking about. You'd think so. Like, to me, I've never understood plagiarism. I've never understood plagiarism because if all you do is cite your sources, I've always thought, well, you can, you can borrow any idea from anywhere if you just give credit to the original thinker of that idea. And it doesn't, I, I've never, I've never seen an element of a story that was sourced where I thought, well, this author's being lazy and 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 now this this writer needs to, you know, do more of their own thinking rather than borrowing ideas. Like, who cares where the idea comes from? Just credit it and then go about your business. Like I, you know, you're telling me that an entire reputation and the concept of plagiarism can be thrown out with a footnote? Why would you ever drift into the world of plagiarism then? I don't know. I I don't know why people want to pass off some ideas as their own when all you can do is, you know, cite your source and look like, well, I put an awful lot of time into researching this. Like, either way, you look smarter than just, I'm plagiarized. I, I don't, I, it's, it's really weird. 
It's really, really weird. Sons of Johnny Lamaster says, love this interview. Laura for Democracy says, I respect Ethan so much. Seems very ethical in his reporting. He is. He is very ethical. Like I said, he's very honest. And one of the things and traits that we share is maybe too honest for our own good. E. Scott Burns says, having covered the Warriors from 2013 to 16, love hearing Ethan tell real stories behind the scenes. Great get, Damon. He was a great guest. Steve P. says, this guy's a dork. (laughs) All right, Steve. Maybe that wasn't the conversation for you, but I think much more than this guy is a dork When I hear him talk, I think this guy is smarter than the average bear. And again, sometimes that rubs people the wrong way, right? Uh, Let's see. What else have we got here? Um, uh, You know, there's an awful lot in the sports world going on right now. That Stephen A. Smith, Jason Whitlock conversation is something else. Stephen A. Smith burnt down Jason Whitlock in a way that, again, it it didn't drift into personal. It started in the lane of personal, and it stayed there during a 40-minute takedown where Stephen A. Smith called him a piece of shit like no, no fewer than 35 times in 40 minutes. We'll have a little bit more on that maybe with another video that I'm working on for later in the day. So keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out for giving love to our sponsors. Again, Ike's, Uncle Boys, Dr. Paul Hughes, who, by the way, is going to continue to sponsor postseason, postgame, and Damon. Uh, if you are if, if you got barking joints and have been told you need knee or shoulder or hip replacement, go see Dr. Paul Hughes before you make that decision to have surgery. Go to orthopedicsurgeries.com to see if his incredibly modern cellular replacement therapy couldn't be the right thing for you. And if you use the, the, uh, the, the code word Hunter, when you make that appointment, it's 50% off. I mean, it's, it's a very generous offer that he is making to this audience. So check that out. And thank you for checking me out today. Thank you very, very much. Uh, By the way, Smiley Dan also, I'm sorry we just missed each other. My friends have opened a bar in the Excelsior called the Halfway Club right on Geneva. And uh, I saw Ernie there yesterday. Uh, he, He popped in. He's a neighborhood guy. And he was meeting Smiley Dan. Jillian and I went in because, again, my, my one of my best and oldest friends here in San Francisco is opening that bar with one of my other best and oldest friends here in San Francisco. So their first night open, we had to go in. Jillian and I got a couple of drinks before we came home to take care of the kids. And let me tell you, it's easier to take care of the kids with a couple cocktails in you. It really is. Um, yeah, we got uh, Ethan as part of the Niner gang. He is. He is. When, when, when we were talking before the show started, he's like, hey, man, if you want to get into the Niners, I'm all about the Niners right now. I was like, all right. I wasn't even thinking about really talking 49ers with you. Uh, but yeah, there he is. That guy, He, I, I'm, I'm surprised he doesn't like baseball more than he does because I think baseball, if, if the criticism of he's a dork, or he's a nerd, let's say that that actually lands somewhere in the realm of true. I think like dorks and nerds get attached to baseball. There is a a level of numbers and math going on there. I'm surprised he's not a bigger baseball fan than he claimed to be, actually. Um, But really, great, great stuff. I'll end today's show with some sad news, and I don't know if you uh, you heard it, if you might have been listening, but the butcher boy, Joe Shasky's father, has passed away, and they've made that uh, public this morning, I believe, on 95.7 The Game, and I'm just going to tell you that I've known Butcher a very long time. Uh, I think I've very much helped launch his career, the fact that um, I'm I'm operating a solo business now 
not too far away from Ocean Avenue where I met him when he was a butcher who had his own butcher shop and now he's on the radio and I'm on Ocean Avenue. It's it's amazing how the tables have turned there, but I'm always going to love the butcher boy. He's such a good guy. He's a great San Franciscan. And his father was also just a great, great guy. Met him more than once. What a nice guy. Raised a good son. And I'm very happy he got to meet his grandchild before he shuffled off this mortal coil. So love to the butcher boy uh, and Papa Shasky, who has passed away. And that's how we're going to end today's show. I thank you very, very much for joining me and Ethan Sherwood Strauss, who I think is one of the most interesting guys out there. Uh, let's see. Friday will begin with the wake up, 8 a.m. Yours truly and Larry Kruger a sports phone Friday show where we'll be wrapping up what has been an incredible week in sports. I mean, seriously, an incredible, can I share you the one stat that is maybe the most impressive stat I've ever seen attached to anyone anywhere at any time? Nick Saban stepping down at Alabama has the single most impressive stat I think I've ever seen. I, I, I I think this might supplant my favorite Tony Gwynn stat of all time. Tony Gwynn could have gone 0 for 1,000 in his final 1,000 at-bats and still been a 300 hitter, career 300 hitter. I Go down a Tony Gwynn statistical rabbit hole. It's a wonderful rabbit hole to go down. He was awesome. Nick Saban at Alabama, though, has one of the single most impressive statistics I've ever heard attached to anyone in sports in my lifetime. Nick Saban had more players drafted in the first round than he had losses. <laughs> Nick Saban had 44 first round draft picks for the Crimson Tide and only lost 29 games as head coach of the Crimson Tide. That's, that's freaking amazing. It's really, really amazing. So we'll be back to wrap up what has been a very interesting week. I don't want to even talk about the Warriors. They have been so bad the last couple of games. I'm sure we'll get to them at some point in time on Friday. But there you go. I thought that that was a great conversation, and I really hope you enjoyed it too. Thanks to all of you for being here, all the Plusers. Let me quickly scroll, 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 scroll. Wouldn't want to miss any um, you know, Super Chats or anything like that. We always want to acknowledge those who are supporting the channel. Thank you for just watching to support the channel. Go ahead and hit a like to really support the channel. And if you'd really want to support the channel, I'll tell you that memberships are indeed available. And with those memberships, you get a nice little star next to your name when you hop into that chat. The chat's always amazing. What a great group uh, of, of people in this community we've really built together. It's been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of today's show, for being a part of this community. And I'll just let you know that sports don't build character. They reveal it.